good, everybody. Welcome to the Gold Standard Podcast, part of the Niners Nation Podcast Network. I am Rob Stats Guerrera. With me, as always, my co-host, my co-pilot, Levin Black. What's up, Levin? Not a whole lot. Uh, we can go ahead and get into it. If people think I sound weird, there's good reason for it. I have a cough drop in, waiting on results. I have no idea what I have yet, but uh, I do have a cough drop in my mouth, so I can try to make through it. And my voice is probably a uh, register or two deeper right now than it normally is. Something is kicking Levin's ass, and for once, it's not me. Kissing my what? <laughs> ha ha ha. <laughs> if you're new to the show, this is where you get the Niners hot takes, mostly from me and the cold truth, mostly from Levin Black, or as I like to call him, the human wet blanket. We always start every show with reviews. Please, please, please keep them coming. We love your ratings and your reviews. Help us get our Apple Pod star rating up. It's ridiculously low. It needs to be higher. We've, we're starting to go up, but you got to keep them coming. We always appreciate them. And if you leave it, we will read it, which brings me to this from Bruno five-star review, perfect balance between passion and information. In 1992, I watched my first NFL game on Brazilian TV. That very first game was Niners saints and the Niners won that game. And I became a fan. I've been following the team since then. I'm now 41 and I just moved to the Bay area for work. That was the destiny. My dream was always to watch a live game, and I got the tickets for me and my nine-year-old boy for Niners Seahawks in week two. Looking forward for this dream to come true. Thank you for this podcast to make my passion grow in the past year. I feel you guys have the perfect balance between passion and information. Love the show. See you at Levi's Stadium in September. And that is a perfect time to get Seahawks tickets now that Russell Wilson is gone. So good, good work, Bruno. I guess you call that serendipity. <laughs> it's all the Niners and what a decade later, however long, I don't think he quite states he ends up getting a job in the Bay Area and moving. Yeah, that's not bad. Actually, Akash just got uh is moving to San Francisco now too. He was up in Seattle. Now he's moving to San Francisco. So there you go. It's all coming together for people, but please keep your ratings and your reviews coming. All right, Levin, we got a lot to do on today's show. We're going to talk Trey Lance arm fatigue because apparently that is now a thing. Uh, we're going to hear from no, it's not. <laughs> we're going to hear from Matt Mayoko and Jennifer Lee Chan on the 49ers Talk podcast. They kind of addressed it. I've got some issues there. And then Matt also did a great interview with Steve Young, which you should go and listen to if you haven't done so already. There's a clip of that that I'm going to play too because Steve Young talked about his relationship with Trey Lance. And every time he does, I get the warm and fuzzies. So we'll get to that. Plus, I have five 49er facts about last season that I think are going to blow your mind. So we have a lot to do on today's show. If I legitimately blow your mind, will you be honest and tell me? Or are you just going to poo-poo everything? Uh, I will be honest, but <laughs> I mean, I think you know me pretty well. I don't have my mind blown very easily. I'm mm -hmm. not that type of person that goes, oh, my God, that's so amazing. Well, you haven't heard the five things yet. Don't say that. Yeah, but they're coming from you, so. Actually, they're not coming from me. Full disclosure, they're coming from Warren Sharp, who puts out one of the best football preview guides on the market. You should absolutely go and check it out. I, I can put the link for it, actually, in the, in the description. It is awesome. It is so full of information, like stuff that you never even realized. I absolutely love it. It's like assigned reading for me every year. You should go and check that out, but I want to give full credit. All right. Let's start with the Trey Lance stuff, Levin. Uh, Mike Silver talked about arm fatigue. It's been talked about by um, somebody else. Was it Chris? I'm not Chris Harris. I can't remember. Some other former player who, like, nobody even knew this person was an analyst. He brought up Turbin. arm fitness. No, it wasn't Robert Turbin. 
but apparently it's become a thing. Brandon Ayuk now this week on social media just put out a video of him and Lance working out where Lance is just launching bombs all over the field. That was very cool. Your first blush reaction, Trey Lance, arm fatigue, go. Uh, what the hell is that? <laughs> uh, and then instantly thought of pitchers, and then uh, I thought about it. I was like, well, it does kind of make sense if this is early last year because this is a kid who pretty much didn't play for a year and a half. If he got into training camp and was being given a ton of reps all of a sudden, I could see his arm being a little bit fatigued. Was it concerning? I wouldn't like that was not my initial reaction. My reaction was, well, if he had a, like a little bit of soreness because suddenly he was throwing like 200 passes a day, I could see that like th- that wouldn't be too shocking. But I don't think it was anything in the season that was an actual issue. I think it's a whole lot of nothing that uh, I think it's it was pretty easy for everybody right away. Initial reaction to see that silver report and go, well, I, I got a pretty darn good guess of who his source is on that one. <laughs> Rich Gangarello. <laughs> um, but, you know, there is a large group of 49ers coaches, or I should say ex-49ers coaches, who are out now in the league. You know, it's not just Gangarello. I think the Niners hired like either 14 new coaches or or maybe it was new coaches and new titles uh, this offseason. So, like, there are a lot of people that used to work for the 49ers that are now out there that could potentially be sharing these opinions I think anyone that listens to this show regularly knows that we are the skeptics, I feel like, on the Niners Nation Network. We look at things through a very critical eye. Both of us do. And, you know, we like to scrutinize things. We don't just take everything at face value. My initial response to this was, wait a minute. This is a really weird and unique criticism, especially for someone, number one, as young as Trey is, and number two, for a guy that's thrown less than 400 passes in college and the pros. It's a really weird and specific criticism that we've now heard from multiple people. That doesn't automatically make it true, but it does make me want to keep my eye on it because it's not like, oh, Trey's not picking up the playbook. That's something you hear about like a bunch of quarterbacks. Specifically, you hear a lot about a lot of times about black quarterbacks, a lot of times about mobile quarterbacks. People like to just toss that around. That's not what this was. So the fact that it was such a weirdly specific criticism gave me pause. So I'm going to be keeping an eye on it. Here is what Matt Mayoko and Jennifer Lee Chan said on the 49ers, uh, 49ers Talk podcast this week. Is it a big deal? I, I don't think so because you know when what we talked about on May 22nd was that you know there was a, a member, a high-ranking member of the 49ers organization who you and I were casually talking to, mm-hmm. and that topic came up. And it seemed to me it was more just, you know, hey, we're going to be, you know, we're like we would with any quarterback, we're going to be monitoring it. Just keep an just, eye on it. Yeah, just keep an eye on it mm-hmm. and make sure that they don't do anything that that sets him back or uh, prevents him from getting right. the work in that he needs to get in. So I never thought of it as something that's a big deal. Right. The level Um, of concern was minimal. It was just something that, you know, they've got to keep an eye on it just in case, you know, just be aware. But it it didn't seem like it was a serious level of concern. No, it it didn't. A couple of things, Levin. First of all, teams don't keep an eye on things that aren't a big deal. So if they're keeping an eye on it, it's a big deal. But the, the bigger question to me was, 
you know, Mayoko kind of casually just like throws in like I was talking to a high ranking 49ers person and the topic came up. Well, how and why the hell did the topic just come up? You know, he talks about it like it just happened to them. It came up for a reason, did it not? It depends on uh, who that high-ranking person is. If it's John Lynch, no. John Lynch, we've seen a track record where sometimes he gets a little too relaxed and forgets that he's a front office <laughs> person and not a member of the media. So I could see him kind of casually mentioning it and going, oh, crap. I just mentioned that to the media. Uh, that would be my guess of what happened. I, I don't know any other high-ranking person that has a history of letting the cat out of the bag sometimes. York, comma, Jed. Do you think Jed's going to be sitting there chit-chatting with Mayoko on the sideline casually? I don't no, know. No, he Jed talks York's to the national guys. I don't think he's going to be sitting on the sideline. Like, I don't see Jed York just hanging out on the sideline with media members. He might yeah. go down to the sideline occasionally. I don't think he's going to be just hanging out all practice long with the reporters. I could be wrong about that. How would I know? But I, I just don't see that as Jed York's MO. So I feel like Mayoko is kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth. Um, like, you know, this report came up and then I feel like he kind of tried to piggyback on it and be like, oh, well, back in May, we were talking about this, but it's not a thing. Well, it's like, well, wait a minute. Then why the hell were you talking about it back in May? So it's really weird. And then he said something that just, as always, just pissed me off. My guess is that the first day of training camp, when Trey Lance reports, we'll ask him about it. And, you know, of course, we will be on hyper alert and be aware of of what what it is. Oh, don't worry, Levin. Matt Mayoko is going to be on hyper alert. Matt Mayoko and the crack 49ers press corps is going to be on the case. Yeah, I'm sure we'll really get to the bottom of things. Now I feel better. Uh, let's just break it down brutally, honestly, like we like to do on this show. Mayoko found out something from a high ranking official that isn't necessarily a good thing and uh, squashed it. And now somebody else picked it up that's national and it became a huge ordeal. So now all of a sudden <laughs> may echo, well, we're going to get to the bottom of it. Okay. Where were you two months ago? Oh, that's right. You protected your relationship rather than in reporting, which is your job. I, I hate that. I understand that there is a balance there. Uh, I was never the type that was very good with that balance. Like, if you tell me something that is newsworthy, my loyalty lies with the readers, not you. So don't mess up and say something you should. That's something that probably works in high school, like I covered. Maybe not in the NFL. If Mayoko had reported that, would he get a one-on-one -on -one with John Lynch later this year, like he always does? <laughs> maybe, maybe not. So it, that's just the brutal honest of what happened. Mayoko squashed something that was newsworthy and it backfired because somebody else caught wind of it. Here's the other thing, you know, so he was talking about this in May. Okay. Well, in August, Matt Mayoko is the one that was saying that Trey Lance is the best rookie quarterback he's ever seen. So it's like, where were you? Didn't bring up any of these concerns. Then his arm didn't seem to be too fatigued then. So like, again, there are parts of this that I just, that don't seem to line up. And I, I'm just trying to piece it all together. Uh, do I think Trey Lance has arm fatigue? No, it would be really doubtful. But there's something going on there because we've heard it from too many places now. So I'm just I'm just going to keep my eye on it. That's all. It could be nothing by the time training camp starts in two weeks and he's throwing and he looks fine. And then we don't even think about this again. Like 
Jamar Chase having trouble catching the footballs before his rookie year. Like maybe it's not a big deal at all, but I'm just going to be keeping my eye on it. I'm not totally dismissing it yet. I think there is an interesting theory that I saw thrown out there by multiple people. And maybe that's what it was. He had that uh, thumb injury and he had to kind of change the way he throws Mm -hmm. in order to compensate for it. So maybe he had some arm fatigue. So he was using his arm in a way that was not conventional to him. And so he had a week or two period where he was adjusting, and that's all it is. And that would be more like early season, not training camp when he reported. That's possible as well. I don't know. All I know is it wasn't an issue when he was the starter. So I don't really buy a whole lot into this. And, you know, if you're somebody out there that doesn't believe in Trey Lance, then uh, allow me to say Jimmy Garoppolo had shoulder fatigue. So it's not like this is anything new to deal with. Like we had a quarterback who literally can't keep it, his body healthy leading the way for the last four years. So having a little arm fatigue is not nearly as big of a concern. It's always something. Let me just say, like, you know, people are talking about, oh, it's a slow time, whatever. Like we're through that. We are through the slow time because in the next couple of weeks, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get resolved trade cut whatever that's going to happen training camp is going to start so like we're we're through the dead time with this team there is always something now with this team i don't want to totally crap on matt mayoko because he did do a fantastic interview with steve young uh they were at the american century golf championship in lake tahoe uh and this is the comment that steve young made about his relationship with trey lance I make myself available to Jimmy. I make myself a little tr- to Trey. Like, hey, look, if I could ever be helpful, and because Trey and I had a, a couple of chances to kind of go back and forth with some questions and answers, there's nothing I can do with the offense. I can't say, hey, look, this offense that I know so intimately, which I do not, I'm not going to. But I can give you some perspective. I can give you some, you know, if nothing else, a sense of support, you know. And so I've enjoyed uh, those, those conversations. And I want to have some more with Trey if he's willing to because I think that there's a place – carefully for uh, that I can be helpful and um, look you know the game has come to me in some ways right it's like I've been out for 20 years but now the game is my <laughs> it's my game like I've been out for 20 years it's been 20 it years it seems like it was like five years I ago. know and it's <laughs> uh, that's a whole other problem but um, but I would love to be helpful if there's a place to be last thing I want to do is come in hot trying to talk about stuff that and Trey's like I don't know what you're talking about you know so very carefully I'll, I'll, I'll be as helpful as I can be That is awesome. That is a legend who wants to help, but recognizes that he can't step on the toes of the current coaching staff. Like I cannot think of a more perfect situation for mentoring Trey Lance, especially because Steve Young is out of the 49ers bubble, right? There's going to be times when Steve's going to sit Trey down and be like, look, man, sometimes you got to prove the coach is wrong. Or sometimes you got to say, screw what the coaches want. This is what the team needs. Like it's good that he's outside of that bubble. I just think it, Trey Lance cannot talk enough with Steve Young, and I love it. Yeah, I got a couple of reactions to that. One, I think Steve Young will be much more valuable in the season. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you played game there on all this tape. He can point out, well, see how you were looking here and then here, you know, or you didn't see this or you didn't see this DB. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think there's there's certain film breakdown that Steve can help him with, especially when it comes to pro- progressions, which isn't necessarily the system. Now, obviously, progression order does have something to do with play design, but I think he can be a help there. My other reaction is is that he said he reached out to Jimmy. Do, 
Do you have any memory of Jimmy talking to Steve Youngs? I don't have any memory of either one of them saying they did. I don't remember hearing that. Now, Garoppolo is definitely a much more private, quiet person than Trey. Um, But look, he doesn't even text George Kittle back. So is he going to hit back Steve Young? I have no idea. You know, you talked about breaking down the film with Steve. And my first reaction was, he's not going to do that. And then I was like, you know what? Like now, Trey could literally just text Steve Young a play. And Steve Young could text back, like, look, you didn't look at the safety or whatever. Like, it's not like they have to get together in a dark room somewhere and break right. down film. Like, Trey could just text it to him. That I, Man, I, I don't know. I just, I really like that. It makes me happy anytime I hear it, that Steve Young just wants to do it. He wants to be there for, for Trey Lance. And I think that can only help. Almost like somebody on this podcast said months ago that they would guarantee Steve Young has talked to Trey Lance. Oh, who was that? Probably me. I say so many smart (laughs) things, though. It's hard to keep track. Uh, All right, let's take a break. When we come back, I will do five facts about the 49ers last year that will blow your mind. Levin, hold on to your butts. Back here on the Gold Standard Podcast. All right, Levin, it is time to get into our five 49ers facts from last year that are going to blow your mind. Again, these come from Warren Sharp, who has one of the best football previews you can find. Number five, the 49ers front seven generated pressure in two and a half seconds or less on about 26% of opponent dropbacks last season. All dropbacks, that's screen passes, that's, you know, three-step drops, that's seven-step drops, everything. More than a quarter of the time, the Niners got pressure in two and a half or less seconds. That blows my mind. That was fifth in the NFL. Mm, Not blowing mine yet. Fifth in the NFL. Uh, I would have hoped the Niners were first in that. Uh, maybe they would have been if Nick Boza wasn't held every single play. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I I don't know. Uh, pressures, to me, it's a statistic. It's a love-hate relationship because I think it's very uh, opinionated whether something is a pressure or not. You know, it's up to the beholder of watching it. it it's not as clear-cut, and I think there are times that I have seen plays where I think the quarterback was pressured and they don't count it as a pressure and vice versa. So uh, pressures, like I said, it's a love-hate relationship. I value the stat, but I also am skeptical of its accuracy. All right. I've given one fact. You have poo-pooed one fact. You are still batting (laughs) a thousand. Number four, 49ers have NFC West problems, Levin. They are six and oh against the Rams the last three years. They are four and eight against everybody else in the division, including one and five against the Seahawks and just three and three against Arizona. They could beat the Rams. They can't beat anybody else. Yeah, that one, uh, I didn't know the exact numbers on, but yeah, I knew that. They have the Rams number. There's been a lot of hoopla made about that. And at the same time, like, what did we see last year with the Cardinals? They let, the Cardinals literally <sighs> had like half their team missing and they still lost the dang game. And we are all well aware of, the whole Seattle situation. I mean, they, they've been kicking our butts for a decade now. Uh, hopefully that has ended. But yeah, that one actually, I, I will say this, four and eight surprised me. I thought it would be worse. You thought it'd be worse? Yes. Because uh, the Cardinals beat us last year. And I would have thought with the whole Seattle track record that it would have, that means, you know, that we went three and one against the Cardinals prior to that. Like I would have thought that it was worse than that. Even the wins against the Cardinals have felt like really difficult. Have it like, always ugly. Yeah. It's just something about it. I don't know. Like 
they're just they struggle, man. I know the Russell Wilson thing. Hopefully, you think that'll get better, but like the Cardinals are, you know, the Cardinals are not awful. So hopefully, the Niners can at least like just have some easier games against them. Damn, like the Cardinal games. Every single time the Niners play the Cardinals, and it's been in a variety of ways. I'm always sitting there in the first second quarter going. What Niners team is this? <laughs> they never look like themselves. They never enforce their will. You know, the run game. They can't run. Yeah, they can't run. So it, the team just looks completely different, even in their wins, than what we're used to seeing. That That's the game. Like, Arizona does an excellent job of making the Niners do something out of their comfort zone. In which case, it means throw the ball because that's what it basically those are the the big statistical games from Jimmy Garoppolo. The first Cardinals game last year was the 17 to 10 game. That was Lance's first start uh, winnable, but they did not win it. And then the second Cardinals game was the Colt McCoy game and they dominated in the 49ers. We talked about the running game. Elijah Mitchell, eight carries for 36 yards in the game as a team. The 49ers had 11 carries for 39 yards. That's three and a half yards per carry. They can never move the ball against Arizona. And that's exactly the game. The Niners don't want to play. Can't run the ball. Have to rely on the quarterback. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully that changes this year. All right. Well, this next number or this next stat is going to directly correlate to that because the 49ers are not great in close games, Levin. They went five and five last year in one score games and 13 and 13 in one score games over the last three seasons. You know, a lot of the Jimmy stands like to talk about how he, you know, at the end of the game, he pulls it out. Well, no, not really. I mean, there it's basically a 50 50 toss up. That's where I worry about Trey Lance. What's he going to do at the end of the game when he's in a two minute drill? something he does not have hardly any experience with in his football career. Can he take the team down in crunch time situations and get them the points that they need? They haven't been great at it in the last three years. And that to me is one of the biggest question marks with Lance going into this year. I think that is what separates the truly great elite NFL quarterbacks from the mediocre. A lot of quarterbacks can end up having pretty good stats overall for a season. It's when they get the ball with one minute to go and no timeouts and they need to get some kind of points. Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady, they all do it with pretty good regularity. The uh, Kurt Cousins, Jimmy Garoppolo's of the world don't. It's very hit or miss on whether or not they can get that last second drive. And that's the 13 and 13 over the last three years. Yeah, that that's getting close. I would say that's definitely the best one so far because that means you have two playoff years, two two years where the Niners won a lot of games, and yet they were only thirteen and thirteen. And that also means they had a ton of close games. That's twenty six close games out of what forty nine. So that's more than half. Like that's pretty mind blowing to me that more than half their games were one score games. All right, next up, injuries in the Kyle Shanahan era. When Kyle Shanahan took over in 2017, the 49ers were the 10th most injured team in the NFL. Since then, they have been worse than that every single year. They have been inside the top 10. In 2018, they were the fourth most injured team. In 2019, they were the sixth most injured team. 
In 2020, they were the most injured team. And last year, they were the third most injured team in the entire NFL. I don't know if it's the training staff, which they have changed. So it'd be crazy to think that they had two bad training staffs in a row. But for whatever reason, this team cannot stay healthy. And the fact that they got to the NFC Championship game last year with as many injuries as they did is a credit to the 49ers coaching staff. If they just get average injury health this year, just average, not even like good like the Rams, just regular 16th best, it'll be the best they've ever had under Kyle Shanahan. So that's not surprising. Like we all have railed about that. And I think on this show, it's probably been our biggest criticisms of Kyle Shanahan is that they ignored injury history for a lot of their signings. Like I think last year signified a little bit of a change in this year as well. But, you know, they went out and made a big splash with D Ford, Quan Alexander, two guys with super long injury histories. And both of those, like, look, I like those guys. It's not their fault, but both of those ended up being, in retrospect, horrendous moves for the team. If they could reutilize the money spent on those two players, the Niners probably have a Super Bowl championship right now. Put it that way. Like, that's not surprising to me, but I, I think it goes further than that. And I, I want to know, does he say how how that is weighted or if it's weighted? Is it just straight injuries, doesn't matter who the player is, or is it weighted for value of position? Because if you weighted for value of position, the Niners are probably even worse because (laughs) we know their quarterback is often the one that has injuries, and that's just a season killer. Uh, He didn't say if it was weighted for injury or injury length or anything like that. I don't think it is. Still, that's horrendous could we just get the 16th best please could we just have run-of-the-mill injury health uh how about this then as the number one thing since you're poo-pooing everything not poo-pooing they're good stats but two of them i've known and two of them aren't exactly shocking how many games last year do you think there were where the starting quarterback starting running back starting tight end and two starting wide receivers play the entire game Who's the starting running back? Whoever it was for that for oh, that day. Whoever, okay. I didn't know if you were saying like it has to be Mostert. And so pretty much, you know, every game after the first couple is out the window. Uh, I'll say five. Six. There were six, just six games out of 17 where the skill players that started the game ended the game for the 49ers. Just six. That's absurd. That is ridiculously bad. Like I can't even... Do people realize that? Like, I feel like that just gets thrown out the window. They just forget all the context of what we're seeing here. That is horrendous injury luck. I I keep staring at these stats and thinking, well, it can't possibly be this bad next year, right? You would just think the law of averages, regression, all that stuff will kick in and they'll be better. And it's like, nope, here we go again. I would love to see the breakdown of who missed what at the end of the game, because I would bet. So that means there's there's 12 games in which somebody didn't finish the game. I would bet in 10 of those. Now, some of these are going to be doubled up. I would bet in 10 out of the 12, a running back that started did not finish. The game. <laughs> <laughs> and that's part. It's not by design because it's not what Kyle Shanahan wants, but it is by design because he picks smaller, speedier running backs who are more likely to get injured. I just 
I, it's got to stop. It has to stop at some point, like just the law of averages. But I don't know. I, I we'll see. You don't sound too impressed by any of those, as I anticipated you would be. How about this? Trey Lance had more red zone rushing attempts than Trey Sermon last year. That's not shocking either because he had a bunch of red zone rushing attempts at the beginning of the year and Sermon couldn't see the field pretty much all year. I mean, you wouldn't have said that right after they were drafted, right? Would you have said, especially if I told you that Jimmy was going to be the starter, you wouldn't have said that. No, that that would be shocking in retrospect, but I knew that already or would have if you told me, who do you think had more red zone attempts last year? I would have picked Trey Lance. So at this point, the problem is, is I look up a lot of this stuff. On my own. The problem is you're a jerk, and you would never admit it if I blew your mind. I knew you wouldn't. I would. It's just I, I'm a stat nut. You're the one with the nickname stats, but like I go and I pay for a monthly subscription to the uh, Stats Inc. or whatever it is for the uh, Pro Football Reference, so I can, if I think of something, I wonder how often that's happened, or how many people have done that before. I can go look it because it drives me nuts when I think of something. There might be a record, might be noteworthy, and I can't go look it up. And I right. do that constantly. You big jerk. Who do you think led the 49ers in red zone targets last year? Going through everybody in my head. Red zone targets. I will say Eli Mitchell. George Kittle. Was 11 Kittle? red zone targets, which is like, yes. Thank you, God. And, and Kittle didn't even play every game. So, like, I love seeing that. But he had only one target inside the five-yard line. So once they got inside the five-yard line, they did not throw the ball to George Kittle. That's where I think we're going to see the difference this year. I actually tweeted out a play earlier this week where it was a quarterback read option, but the tight end just runs like a little post corner, and the quarterback keeps the ball on the option and just chucks it to the tight end who's wide open. That's the kind of stuff I think they should, and I think they will run with Kittle because he'll do like a fake run block, and then he'll just peel out and run to the corner, and I think that that number is going to change this year. So that would be the most shocking thing you've said to me. All right. That George Kittle led in red zone targets, and then you followed it up by saying that he had almost none inside the five. I was like, ah, okay, now it makes sense. <laughs> they were basically targeting him from the 20 to the 10. And then yeah. after that, they were, which is normally you target the big guys, but Kittle's not really that big of a tight end. Like as tight ends go, he's not big. Yeah, he's not huge. Although I've seen him in person and he's bigger than you if think. If you saw him on the street, all of us would be like, who the hell is that guy? Is he WWE yeah. wrestler or what? Uh, but that's the case for, you know, it's like uh, uh, JT O'Sullivan told us in one of our first episodes with this podcast that. If you saw a quarterback on the street, you'd be like, holy hell, that guy is massive. And I think he was talking <laughs> about Alex Smith, if memory serves, from three years ago or whenever. Uh, that, yeah, Alex Smith is like six foot four, six foot five. He's like 220 pounds of mostly muscle. Like, you saw him on the street, you'd be like, God, that guy is huge. Well, you've seen him on the street when you approached him when you were drunk as a skunk. Yeah, but I was drunk. <laughs> People don't look as big when you're drunk, or they look way bigger. One of the I, two. I didn't really get that close. Like I said, he he was holding his kid, so I tried to respect it, even though I was drunk. Brandon Ayuk and Jawan Jennings tied for the lead in uh, targets inside the five yard line. They each had three. Jennings makes sense because he's the biggest 49er wide receiver. The Ayuk one's kind of surprising, especially because I think he had like nine catches through the first six weeks of the year, or something like that. 
Yeah, I mean, I can see two of them in my head, so uh, only having three is kind of a little surprising, but people would be shocked at how few they actually have. I At one point, I, I think I wrote an article even way back when, when I was first writing about red zone targets, and uh, yeah, I sorted it on stat, on the, I forget if it's stat, stats reference, whatever it is, and it changed the stupid name when it goes over to searching specific stuff. But, like, most of the time, your league leader in red zone targets is only, like, 15. Maybe get to 20 if it's a truly unique season. Like, it's not as many as you would think. At least for me, that that was surprising when I went and looked at that. And the success rate isn't all that good either. All right, this is a quick pop quiz. Here, are, I'm going to tell you every red every player that got a red zone target for the 49ers except one. And I want to see if you remember who I leave out. God. Kittle, Ayuk, Debo, Jennings, Jermichael Hasty, Juice, Elijah Mitchell, and who? God, I have running back stuck in my head again. Uh, One. I would say Jeff red zone Wilson. target. No, not Jeff Wilson. It is Trent Williams. Remember the silverback uh, got that? They tried to. They were screwing around, and they tried yeah. to give him a target. Yep, I forgot about that. All right, that was my little pop quiz. I just you, you see how much I fall back to well jimmy dumps it down <laughs> yeah i know you were picking <laughs> running backs for all of these all right levin you're off the hook i should have blown your mind hopefully somebody listening enjoyed it you clearly didn't because you're a big wet blanket but that's going to do it for this edition of the gold standard podcast please rate review and follow the niners nation podcast network it is the perfect time to follow we are going to be all over training camp kyle posey is going to be at training camp Jordan Elliott's going to be at training camp. Jason Aponte is going to be at training camp. We're going to give you reports every day from people who are actually on the ground there. So you won't have to worry about what the national people are saying who are 3,000 miles away or what anybody else is saying. We will be there. We don't have to hold anybody's water. So we will tell you the truth. How exciting is that, Levin? Pretty exciting. I value firsthand accounts a heck of a lot more than anything else. Why the hell aren't you going to training camp? Because uh, I live in Pittsburgh and you don't pay me enough. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> Enjoy your Thursday, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>